Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to Face Connecticut, an in-depth look at today's issues. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Face Connecticut on WTIC News Talk 1080, 96.5 TIC-FM and Light 100.5 WRCH. Aaron Kupek with you this Sunday morning, and we're pleased to be joined by Connecticut Lieutenant Governor Susan Beiswitz. Good morning to you. Good morning. Thanks so much for having me. There is an effort underway called Complete Count to ensure every single person in Connecticut is counted in next year's census. You are spearheading that effort. Tell us why this is so important. We have the 2020 census coming up literally in a year. April 1st will be uh, one year away. And we have been getting ready as a state to make sure that we count every person. And this is critical that we get it right because nearly $11 billion in federal funding is riding on it. The state of Connecticut got more than $10.7 billion last year from the federal government. Uh, We want to make sure that as a state we get our fair share. Unfortunately, We are number 48 um, in terms of how much we give to the federal government versus how much we get back. So we've got a lot of work to do to make sure that we count every person. This is a monumental mammoth effort. And that's why we've put together a statewide complete count committee, similar to the one that the state of California has put together. The governor has asked me to... uh, co-chair this effort and so i've been traveling to our major population centers around the state Uh, we've visited more than 10 communities already and we've got another 10 plus to go what sort of funding is at stake here in in terms of the the programs that this touches and i'm glad you asked because it is um, funding for federal school lunches medicaid uh, WIC, uh, snap It is highway and transportation project money, community development block grants. There is so much at stake for Connecticut. It's important we get this right. And a lot of the foundational efforts and organizing are going on right now in each community. So, for example, Bridgeport in December of last year actually passed a resolution to start to start their own city count committee. New Haven has followed suit, as has Meriden, New Britain, and other places. And we're glad because we have a number of challenges that we're facing when we talk about the census in Connecticut. Um, One is, this is the first census in the history of uh, this event that happens every 10 years since it started in 1790 that you can fill it out online. So we have a digital divide. Not everyone in our state has access to the internet. That's why the public libraries are going to be our partner. Uh, So we need to get the word out. Another challenge that we face is more than a quarter of our population lives in a hard-to-count area. So those hard-to-count areas are 
generally urban areas where people are more transient. So they tend to live in multifamily housing or apartments, and the return rate is very low. Uh, so we have urban areas where we're going to have to reach out. And the final challenge that we face is that President Trump has proposed there be a citizenship question on the census. We never had that before. A federal court has struck that down. The Supreme Court's going to consider that requirement. And so we have to get the message out to people that regardless of what happens with that uh, citizenship question, we don't want uh, people who are undocumented to feel afraid to fill the census out because uh, federal law protects every person's personal information that they give to a census taker. And it should be noted that the census is not a citizenship count. It is a population count. It's a resident count, correct? That's right. And in fact, that was exactly the argument that was made in the federal district court case that the Constitution uh, and federal law require a census counting every person. The uh, United States has never said you only count citizens. And in fact, um, slaves... Uh, were counted as three-fifths of a person, however uh, racist that was. Uh, we've never made a distinction about citizenship status. All we uh, have done is counted individuals. And it's really important, particularly for Connecticut, because we're one of more than seven states that's been losing population. You talked about the public libraries playing a key role. What other groups are part of this committee, and why is it so important to have such a, a broad-based group? So our committee has engaged uh, chambers of commerce uh, across the state, labor organizations, community health centers, the League of Women Voters, the NAACP, uh, groups that uh, advocate for the rights of immigrants and refugees. Um, the reason we have such a broad-based group is we are gathering trusted partners that have their own networks so that they can get their messages out to their network. So, for instance, we have faith-based groups who will be uh, letting their congregations know that it is safe to fill out the census. And, in fact, uh, some groups uh, may be making uh, computer access uh, available to people in their network, which is key as well. Uh, that's why we've held some of our census press conferences in public libraries or community centers or senior centers with the computers as a backdrop just to remind people that there are many ways to fill out the census either by calling an 800 number or by going online and libraries have always been a key partner helping people complete online job applications put their resumes together and now uh, they'll be there to help people complete the census Walk us through what's going to be happening between now and, say, the end of 2020 as the count really ramps up. Right. So right now, we have cities and towns that are organizing at the local level. So our state has a statewide complete count committee, 
And now we see municipalities, towns and cities across the state forming their own complete count committees, usually at the city council or town council level. Uh, Right now, our federal census bureau is on the ground in Connecticut. They have begun to open offices and the federal census has started to take job applications. Um, And I'm glad you asked this question because the Census Bureau has hired some managers already in Connecticut, but they will be hiring hundreds of people for a very good paying part-time jobs. Some of the census jobs will be paid $21 an hour for those census takers who will go out into the community. So what will happen is next April, um, the uh, forms, both online and on paper, will be out to every household in the state. And by uh, May, we will see what the response is in Connecticut. And that's when those uh, federal census takers that uh, will be hired We'll be going out door knocking and meeting with people across the state who have not completed their forms. So uh, that's the plan at the moment. And uh, we have been uh, in a great partnership with the Federal Census Bureau. Um, We have uh, people already working in the Danbury, New Haven, and Hartford area having job fairs. And I should note, that anybody who's listening who would like to apply for a job with the federal census can fill out uh, a job application either on their phone or online at the census uh, website. We talked about the money, but it's not just that that we use census numbers for. It's congressional districts. It's legislative districts. It's other purposes. That's right. It's for uh, determining federal funding, as we talked about, but it's also... uh, compiling data that is used by business people every day. So people who are looking at whether to build a housing development to locate a business in a particular town or city will look at census information. So it is critical to economic development and job creation um, in our state. And as you point out, it's very important for political representation. Uh, Connecticut used to have six Congress people. We lost one of our Congress members. Now we have five. And because we've been losing population, one of the concerns is, you know, for the future, will we lose uh, a member of Congress? Also, at the state legislative level, the legislative districts for state Senate and for state representative Um, are drawn using census tract information. And that redistricting is going to be happening after the 2020 census. So this census data is um, used for a multitude of purposes, and that's why it's so important. And that's why, even though we are a little more than a year out, we are talking about this. As a former secretary of the state, you have plenty of experience overseeing vote counts. Does any of that experience inform you overseeing this effort? Actually, it does, uh, because as Secretary of the State, uh, I helped get the word out for the 2000 census and for the 2010 
census um, because of its importance to uh, representation, both at the federal uh, and the state level. And in fact, uh, one of the co-chairs of our Complete Count Committee is our current Secretary of the State, uh, Denise Merrill, who is helping us as well. Uh, also, Representative Chris Rosario of Bridgeport and Representative Pat Wilson-Phineas, a state representative from the Tolland area, is one of our co-chairs. You're listening to Face Connecticut. We are talking to Connecticut Lieutenant Governor Susan Beiswitz. Uh, another council you have been asked to co-chair is the Women and Girls Council. That's right. And this council was modeled after a cabinet-level uh, group that President Obama uh, put together during his presidency and one that the governor uh, Cuomo of the state of New York has formed. And it is made up of every cabinet secretary in our administration, the constitutional officers and four legislative leaders, uh, and its purpose is to advance the interests of women and girls, both as a legislative matter and through uh, our administration. And we were very proud on March 8th to have the first council meeting. And it was really the first unofficial cabinet meeting, if you will, of our administration. And Governor Lamont came uh, on International Women's Day, by the way. We picked it on pur- we picked that date on purpose. Uh, and he announced, actually, that half of our cabinet members, uh, and we have 27, uh, are women, which is historic for our state uh, and I think for our country, because I don't know of any other state that has as many highly qualified and competent women in their cabinet as we do. How is Connecticut doing in the legislature in terms of the, the number of women in the, the House and Senate? I'm guessing probably more than Congress. Um Yes, but not but not that many more. So we have approximately 30% women in our state legislature, and we are in the top 10 or 11 in the country as a state. Now, there are some who would say, well, the reason we have so many women is because our legislative salaries is, is one of the lowest in the country. Um, so... I'm not, I'm not sure I can say this, that we've had some great women leaders in our state uh, before you and I were talking about Governor Grasso before we were on air. Um, so we have a tradition of uh, competent women on both sides of the aisle, people like Jody Rell, people like Nancy Wyman, uh, Ella Grasso, who've been part of our uh, state government. But we have so much uh, more to do at the statewide level. There are 314 leaders, uh, statewide leaders, uh, less than a third of them uh, are women. So people in my position, um, only a third of us are, are women. So we have, we have more to do. Uh, in Congress, we're hovering at about 20%. Um, and for a while, uh, people were saying by 2020, there should be 50-50 women uh, compared to men in our Congress, and we are we are not there yet, and we're just hovering around 20%, unfortunately. This must be an effort that's near and dear to your heart, considering you're a biographer of Ella Grasso, the first female governor in the U.S. elected in her own right, and she has a big birthday coming up. Yes, she does. So Ella Grasso, uh, if she were alive, 
uh, would be 100. She'd be turning 100 on May 10th. So the Windsor Locks Historical Society uh, has asked me to participate in a number of their events. They have been celebrating uh, in Windsor Locks. It is uh, her hometown, and they've had events starting on New Year's Day uh, this year. And I will be hosting a birthday party for Ella Grasso on May 10th at 11 a.m. at the state capitol. And everyone in the state is invited. Uh, And we will be celebrating her birthday by inviting people who served in government with her, uh, either at an elected level or some of her commissioners or people who worked with her when they were in the legislature, to come to her birthday party and talk about uh, her legacy and what it was like to work with her in public service. You recently penned an op-ed calling for bold action to fix Connecticut's transportation system. What do you have in mind? Well, uh, we, the governor and I have made it a priority to try to improve our crumbling transportation infrastructure. Uh, Connecticut leads in so many areas, but we are 41st in terms of uh, transportation infrastructure, uh, as uh, outlined by U.S. News and World Report. Um, interestingly, uh, we we are a state that doesn't toll. 42 other states do. So we are now, um, with the governor's leadership, uh, having a conversation about how we can fund our aging transportation infrastructure. Uh, more than 300 bridges uh, are in poor repair in our state, and all you have to do is drive on 95, 91, uh, or the Merritt Parkway during rush hour to see how we are part of one of the biggest bottlenecks, transportation bottlenecks in the Northeast. Uh, And we are trying to have a constructive conversation about how we can fund that. And one of the things we know is the gas tax is not a reliable uh, generator of revenue because now we're all driving much more fuel-efficient cars, right? Electric cars, hybrids, smaller cars. So that's really not a modern way to fund transportation. We have um, some people, particularly on the Republican side of the aisle, who uh, want the state to go into further debt to fund it. The governor and I would like us to go on a debt diet, and the governor has uh, proposed spending uh, 40% less on bonding, which we think is good to um, help uh, reduce our unfunded liabilities and reduce our state's debt. And one of the things that we've suggested is public-private partnerships to help fund transportation. And we're also going to be asking our federal government to uh, help. Um, and our administration is focused on public transportation. And you can see that in the person that the governor appointed to lead our DOT, and that is Joe Giletti, the former president of Metro North. So we are hoping that we will be able to improve uh, rail transportation. What sort of public-private partnership might this take? What form might it take? 
So uh, other states have engaged uh, private companies uh, to help fund projects, um, either uh, bridges uh, where you have to pay a fee to go across or uh, even parking garages at railroad stations. So that's one of the things that uh, Governor Lamont uh, would like to uh, explore because really uh, for the past several decades, uh, our state has run a multi-state charity for out-of-state cars and trucks that are blowing through Connecticut without contributing while they are contributing strongly to the disrepair of our roads. How difficult a decision was it to, to come out in favor of tolls for both cars and trucks? There, there must have been a lot of discussion behind the scenes because I'm guessing most motorists aren't thrilled about paying more, but maybe there will be dividends in the down the road, you but know, they have to wait for them. I think there's I think there's agreement uh, from everyone that our transportation system is uh, not in a good place, and that there's a lot more that we can do. Um, so I think it's important that we start engaging the legislature in the discussion, and in fact. A number of bills did come out of committee uh, to uh, move that forward. And I think, look, uh, this is all we can't get Connecticut's economy moving if traffic can't move through our state. That's the bottom line. Um, If we want to attract new businesses, young people to our state, then we have to start investing in public transportation in our cities. You know, look, I have um, two daughters uh, that work in New York City, and what they love about New York City, among other things, is they can take the subway or walk to work. A lot of young people uh, like that, and I think that we have cities like Stanford and New Haven that are on the upswing because there is a lot of housing by the train stations. Uh, people can, young people can walk or bike to work or take public transportation. Um, and there are a lot of people, young people that live in Stanford that do the reverse commute to New York. They just get on the train in Stanford um, and they commute, they, they work in New York and they come back and live in Connecticut. So if we want to attract young people, we are going to have to start making our cities more vibrant And if we want to attract businesses to our state, we're going to have to make our transportation uh, much more speedy and efficient. As you noted, a number of tolling legislation bills made it out of committee. What do you think the odds are that they win approval in the House and Senate? Well, I'll say this. It's... um, Uh, that's to be determined just as what our budget for our state will look like is to be determined Uh, on february 20th the governor put forward his vision for how we could cut a two billion dollar deficit without raising the income tax without uh raising the sales tax um and uh, while there may be components that that people may disagree with, we've got a plan, a budget plan that is balanced, puts us on a good path to reduce debt, 
Uh, the governor wants to cut bonding uh, by 40 percent. This is important because Governor Malloy, through his administration, bonded $1.6 billion a year. That's a lot of debt. So by reducing the amount of bonding that we're going to do, uh, I think we put our our state on a better fiscal path for the future. She is Connecticut Lieutenant Governor Susan Weiswitz. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. Thanks so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Face Connecticut. I'm Aaron Kupek. Enjoy the balance of your weekend. Face Connecticut is a production of the News and Public Affairs Department of WTIC Radio. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 